This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Welcome to the show. Dragnet was an American radio series enacting the cases of a dedicated Los Angeles police detective, Sergeant Joe Friday, and his partners. The show took its name from the police term dragnet, meaning a system of coordinated measures for apprehending criminals or suspects. Dragnet is perhaps the most famous and influential police procedural drama in media history. The series gave audience members a feel for the boredom and the drudgery as well as the danger and heroism of police work. Dragnet earned praise for improving the public opinion of police officers. Actor and producer Jack Webb's aim in Dragnet were for realism and unpretentious acting, and he achieved both goals. Dragnet remains a key influence on subsequent police dramas in many media. The show's cultural impact is such that after seven decades, elements of Dragnet are familiar to those who have never even heard or seen the program. The ominous four-note introduction to the brass and timpani theme, entitled Danger Ahead, was composed by Walter Schumann and is instantly recognizable. Dragnet origins were in Webb's small role as a police forensic scientist in the 1948 film He Walked by Night, itself inspired by the violent 1946 crime spree of Aaron Walker who is a disturbed World War II veteran and former Glendale, California, Police Department employee. The film was depicted in semi-documentary style, and Marty Wynn, an LAPD sergeant from the robbery division, was a technical advisor on the film, inspired by Wynn's account of actual cases and criminal investigation procedure. Now, Webb convinced Wynn that day-to-day activities of police officers could be realistically de- depicted in a broadcast series, without the forced melodramata heard in numerous private detective serials then common in radio programming. The film contained two elements that would transfer over the Dragnet television series, the opening text overlay containing the phrase mentioning that the story is true and only the names are changed to protect the innocent, which was then immediately followed by various shots of Los Angeles with the narrator beginning with the phrase, this is the city of Los Angeles. Webb frequently visited police headquarters. He rode along on night patrols with Sergeant Wynn and his partner and attended police academy courses to learn authentic jargon and details that could be featured in a radio program. When he proposed Dragnet to NBC officials, they weren't especially impressed. Radio was warm with private... uh, Pardon me, swarmed with private investigators and crime dramas, such as Webb's earlier Pat Novak for Hire. That program didn't last long, but Webb received high marks for his role as the titular private investigator, and NBC agreed to a limited run 
for Dragnet. With writer James E. Moser, Webb prepared an audition recording, then sought the LAPD's endorsement. He wanted to portray cases from original files to demonstrate the steps taken by police officers during investigations could be really interesting. Well, the official response was initially lukewarm, but in 1949, LAPD Chief Clements B. Oral gave Webb the endorsement he sought. Police wanted control over the program's sponsor and insisted that police not be depicted unflatteringly. This would lead to criticism as less flattering department aspects, such as LAPD's racial segregation policies, were never addressed. Dragnet debuted inauspiciously. The early months were eh, kind of bumpy, as Webb and company worked out the format and eventually grew somewhat comfortable with their characters. Friday was originally portrayed as more brash and forceful than his later usually flat demeanor. Gradually, Friday's deadpan, fast-talking persona emerged, described as a cop's cop, tough but not hard, conservative but caring. Friday's first partner was Sergeant Ben Romero, portrayed by Barton Yarborough, a longtime radio actor. And after Yarborough's death in 51, Friday was partnered with Sergeant Ed Jacobs, played by Barney Phillips. Raymond Burr was on board to play the chief of detectives. And when Dragnet hit its stride, it was one of radio's top-rated shows. So let's give a listen to the episode tonight of Dragnet, The Big Holdup. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Fatima Cigarettes, best of all long cigarettes, brings you Dragnet. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned a homicide detail. A potential killer is on the loose in your city. He's robbed six people. For no reason at all, he beats his victims senseless. He moves fast. He's well armed. Your job, stop him. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment... Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Thursday, March 8th. It was windy in Los Angeles. We were working the night watch out of homicide. My partner's Ben Romero, the boss of Stad Brown, chief of detectives. My name's Friday. I was on the way back from the record bureau. It was 11.45 p.m. when I got to room 42. Homicide. Joe? Hi, Bill. Romero called about five minutes ago. He's on his way in from Georgia Street. Oh, thank you. The captain's still around? He's gone for the night. You can catch him at home if you want to. Trouble? The rattlesnake bandit. Got two more couples tonight. Right. Bad? About the same as the last three jobs he pulled. Pretty vicious. Gave the victims a bad going over. Who are they? The young salesman, his girlfriend. They were parked up in the Silver Lake area. Bandit robbed him. When he didn't find enough money in the young fellow's wallet, he pistol whipped him. Messed him up quite a bit. Hmm. Why'd he do that? Oh, there's no reason for it. 
Young girl in the car had an engagement ring on. She offered to hand it over. The bandit pulled her out of the car, punched her in the face, hit her quite a few times. Guy just seems to be looking for blood. No leads on him, huh? No, not so far. It looks like I'm out. Have you got any aspirin, Bill? Yeah, I got a fresh bottle this afternoon. Lousy headache. I've had it all night. How about the thief's M.O.? The same, huh? What has been so far. He works the outlying districts, parking areas. Doesn't seem to be any reason at all for these sluggings. The victims all agree on that. No provocation at all. The guy just seems to get a kick out of punching in somebody's face. Mm. Two pills in there? Yeah, that's fine. Thank you. Boys in robbery turn up or anything? No, neither have we. Bandit operates in hot cars. He's got a few good prints to work with. No make, though. Guy works alone, huh? Well, he did for the first two jobs. Last few times he had a bright-looking blonde with him. Good-looking, you know, nice figure. Mm-hmm. Victims say that she stands by and seems to egg him on. I don't know. Seems to get a big thrill out of him, I guess. Hi, Bill. Bill. Hi. How'd you do, man? Doctor didn't think it'd be a good idea to bother him too much tonight. We can talk to him tomorrow. Well, how about the hold-up man's description? Did you get that? Yeah, from the girl. Matches what the other victims gave us. She didn't see the getaway car, though. Didn't have a chance. How about the young fellow? Is he still unconscious? Yeah, they're going to move him to the county hospital. You should have seen his face. Yeah? Terrible. Mess. This bandit's girlfriend, the blonde, nothing at all on her? They can say she's got a nice figure, good looking. Quite a few like that in Los Angeles. What are they getting out of these stick-ups anyway? Can't be too much, huh? Oh, that's just it. None of the heists have netted them more than $50. Hardly worth the trouble. Hot shot. I get it. What is it? Let him. Rattlesnake bandit, he got another couple. Where? South end of Echo Park. Yeah. He shot both of them. Together with Cummings and McCready from Homicide, Ben and I drove to the scene of the holdup and shooting in the Echo Park area. The victims were identified as Ralph Younger, 34, a high school English teacher. He'd been beaten severely about the face and neck and shot once through the right shoulder. His companion was Athelma Donovan, 26, a grade school teacher. She'd been shot through the temple just above the eyes. She was still alive, but in a critical condition. We questioned Ralph Younger briefly before he was removed by ambulance to the Georgia Street Receiving Hospital. His description of the holdup man tallied exactly with that of the rattlesnake bandit. He also gave us the description and license number of the getaway car. We got out a broadcast in an APB. A routine check of the area failed to turn up any leads. 11 a.m. the next morning, Ralph Younger told us the story from his hospital bed. I was, I was teaching Thelma how to drive, Sergeant. We were going along that side street when the sedan pulled up, forced us over to the curb. And your friend, Miss Donovan, was sitting in the driver's seat then? That's right. I got out on my side and started over to ask this fellow what he was doing. Crowding us like that. He rushed up to me and started slugging me in the face with his gun. I went down. Mm-hmm. Well, what did Miss Donovan do? She started howling for help. The hold-up guy ran over and shoved his gun at her. He had it pointed at her head. And he grabbed Thelma's purse and started looking through it. <laughs> for money, I guess. Mm-hmm. Say, uh, would you mind moving this pillow over a little bit? Sure, got you. Oh. There we are. There, how's that okay? Oh, uh, under the shoulder, please. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Were you lying on the street while all this was going on, Mr. Young? 
finally yanked me to my feet, made me stand by the car with my hands up. Thelma was crying. The hold-up man looked through her purse, and he said, Who are you trying to kid, lady? You got more money than this. Thelma told him the truth. <laughs> it was all she had, three dollars. What happened then? He shoved the barrel of the gun against her head, right here by the temple. Then I heard the gun go off. Thelma fell over in the seat. Wasn't any reason for it. No reason at all. Just shot her. Well, what did you do then? Do you remember? I jumped for the man. I wanted to kill him right there. He turned and fired the gun at me. Hit me right here. Over the shoulder. Then mm -hmm. he ran out and got in his car and drove off. It was a blonde girl with him. I got a good look at her. Blonde. Pretty. Attractive. Mm -hmm. Well, is there anything else about the man's description that you might have forgotten to tell us last night? No, I don't think so. I gave you the license number of his car. Can't you find him that way? It was a stolen car, Mr. Young. We took it from one of his other victims. It was found out in Wilshire this morning. Abandoned. I only wish I'd got my hands on him. Poor Thelma. How is she, you know? Well, there's no late report. Maybe you better check with the doctor, huh? Yeah. Hey, before you go... Would you mind ringing this button here? It's for the nurse. The shoulder's giving me trouble again. Yeah, okay. Well, uh, thanks very much, Younger. Sure hope that shoulder of yours gets better. I hope so. Oh, bye. We'll be checking with you later on. Uh, yeah, okay. My bad. Romero? Joe? How'd you do, Bill? Check for the doctor. Donovan girl's still unconscious. Pretty critical. Mm -hmm. What the doc say? She gonna pull through? She might. They can't tell yet. One thing sure though. What's that? Bullet did a lot of damage. Yeah. She's totally blind. Four days before a bullet from the holdup gun had blinded schoolteacher Thelma Donovan for life, the rattlesnake bandit and his blonde girlfriend were unknown to the city of Los Angeles. In the space of little more than ninety-six hours, they'd robbed and slugged a dozen people from one end of the city to the other. In every case, the attacks were just about as brutal and vicious as they were unprovoked. The amount of money taken from the victim was negligible. The only apparent conclusion was that the bandit and his girlfriend were out for blood. That night, despite a citywide alert to all radio cars and patrolmen, the suspects robbed and slugged two more couples between the hours of 10 p.m. and midnight. Between midnight and 1.30 a.m., they got two more victims. 2.30 a.m., Ben and I got back to the city hall, the carpool. Six and spring. One, one, eight, six and spring. Yeah, looks like a place over there, huh? Mm -hmm. I wonder how McCready and Cummings made out. I hope they got more than we have. Yeah. Yeah, it's good right here. Right. Want to get the radio, Joe? Yeah. Let's go. Doggone <laughs> it. I knew I forgot something. What's that? Cigarettes. You got any left? I don't think so. Old pack is all... No, there's one left in here. No, no, it's all right. I can't take your last move. Well, go ahead. There's a machine upstairs with the elevator. I'll get some. Mm, all right. <sighs> I sure better get these. Shoes have so. I'll be walking around in my stocking feet pretty soon. You just got a couple of weeks ago, didn't you? Yeah, that's right. Tops are as good as new. 
sold so darn things went just like that. No wonder they had them on sale. Yeah. Just a minute, I want to get those smokes. Oh, yeah. Skipper said he was going to stay around? Until about two, yeah. He's probably gone by now. That's a long day. Anything in the book? Just a minute. Yeah, your wife called. I want you to get a refill on that prescription for your little boy. Oh. Hiya. What did you two do? Nothing. How about you? Chandler called from robbery a minute ago. Thinks they may have something. Yeah? The 211, big service station out on Pico. Hold-up man had a blonde in the car with him. What about description? Chides pretty well with the guy we're after. Well, he more doesn't. That thief and his girl haven't tried anything but car hold-up since they started. How'd they manage the job? Well, you know how they've been operating for transportation. They rob the people, steal their car. When they reach another victim, they transfer to his car. First time they switched that system was tonight. Hold up on South Hoover, the man and his wife. Instead of changing over, they stayed in the blue Chevy Coupe. Same one they took in the job before that. Up to now, they've used the same hot car in the last three jobs. Sure going to help if they stick with it. What about the gas station in Denver? Well, it's... Excuse me, Crowley Chandler. Homicide coming. Yeah, Glenn. Uh-huh. 5-4-3-8-9. Right, thanks. They dug up a witness to the gas station job. Suspect drove off in a blue Chevy coupe. License five pole three eight nine. Same car, huh? It stops me. What was it take? Twenty three bucks. Plugged the attendant, took off. The broadcast out, area's been alerted, nothing yet. Okay, Ben. Yep. Sure is growing into a long night. Yeah, you're gonna cover, huh, Bill? Yeah, until Fergie gets back. Right. Well, we'll be checking with you. Good guy? Mm-hmm. Homicide Romero. Yeah. How's that? Yeah, right, thanks. Drugstore in South Fig, 211, slugging. Blonde girl drove the escape car. Yes. Five Paul, 389. In the next three hours before dawn, the rattlesnake bandit and his blonde girlfriend held up and robbed the restaurant and two more service stations and made good their escape. For some unknown reason, they continued to use the same stolen car, the blue Chevrolet Coupe. By noontime the following day, composite pictures of the holdup couple were drawn up by the crime lab artist from the descriptions given by the victims. The pictures were printed up and given wide distribution throughout the city. The description and license number of the escaped car was in the hands of every radio car and patrolman in all divisions. The search was intensified. It got us nothing. The following night and early morning, without even slowing their pace, the suspects added four more holdups and sluggings to their credit. One of the victims was Fred Lerner, proprietor of a small lunch counter near 18th and Olive. I've been held up before, officer, a half dozen times. Never saw a punk as hard-looking as this guy, though. You're sure about the description, Mr. Lynn? Well, he stood just as close as you're standing to me now. Wild look in his eye, waving that gun around. I wasn't taking any chances. I gave him everything. Well, how much was that? $18 and a half. Well, how about the getaway car? You're pretty sure of the make and the car? Well, I ran to the door there as soon as they left. Saw him drive off. There's a license just I wrote it down. It's uh, 5, uh, 5P389. I saw the whole thing. Sure surprised Lois would tie up with a punk like him. Lois? Who's that? You know, the blonde who drives the car for him, Lois Hagen. How do you know that's her name? She used to be a waitress, worked for my brother. Lois Hagen, blonde. I spotted her right away in that car. Yeah? Yeah, sure, Lois. Didn't you know it was her? 
7.30 a.m. We put in a call to the record bureau and had them check on the name and description of Lois Hagen. No make, no previous record. With the help of Fred Lerner and his brother, we traced the Hagen girl to a drive-in where she used to work. There, we checked the employment records and got an address on her. 1800 Norwich Drive. Turned out to be a small apartment house in West Hollywood. Then checked with the landlady while I waited the car. Here's the fine key. One two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty. Well, that's it. What'd you get? Talk to the landlady. She's managed the apartment for sixteen years. Yeah. She never heard of Lewis Hagen. You are listening to Dragnet, authentic stories of your police force in action. Tuesday, March 13th. That night and the one following, the rattlesnake bandit and his blonde girlfriend, supposedly Lois Hagen, continued their campaign of holdups and sluggings. They robbed two liquor stores, an all-night cafe, cigar shop, and two more service stations. In each case, the descriptions of the suspects and their getaway car was the same. Routine investigations got nowhere. Ben and I went to work checking out the thin lead that we had on the girl known as Lois Hagen. After three days of pounding the pavement and asking questions, we found two former waitresses at drive-in restaurants who had worked with Lola Hagen. Both of them gave us addresses where they thought the Hagen girl had lived at one time. One of them was a phony. It was a vacant lot. The other panned out. It was a rooming house out in the Boyle Heights district. The manager told us that the Hagen girl lived there two years before. She told us that as far as she knew, the girl's mother, a Mrs. Ernestine Hagen, still ran a small French laundry on South Hobart Boulevard. We found Mrs. Hagen working in her shop. She was a small, thin woman with gray hair. Yes, I have a daughter, Lois. What's the matter? I'd like to talk to her, Miss Hagen. Do you know where we can locate her? Probably sounds funny to you. I haven't seen my daughter in two years. Well, do you have any idea where she's living, ma'am? No, she's not much of a daughter. We didn't get along, as I say, two years ago. We had an argument. She left me. Never wrote a letter. I just don't know. I see. I heard she's living in Detroit for a while. I guess she's back here now. One of my lady friends, Mrs. McCormick, saw Lois shopping out in Hollywood. That was about a month ago. Mm-hmm. How old is your daughter, Miss Hayes? She'll be 20 next month. She looks older than she really is. Won't you excuse me, please? My flat iron back here. I have it heated. Certainly, ma'am. Do you have a copy of the composite picture of the girl? Mm, yeah. Yeah, it's right here. I didn't realize it was getting so late. I have this rush order to get ready by 4 o'clock, officers. If you want, you can come back here. We can talk while I get it out. All right, ma'am. Thank you. Come on. Put the chair there, if you like. Oh, thank you. Seems I'm always so busy lately. I used to have some fine help. Not so easy to find anymore. I need some help a lot. I wonder if you'd mind looking at this picture, ma'am, this one here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Something like Lois. You're looking for her, is that it? You done something, Jim? Well, we're not sure, ma'am. Has she been in trouble before? I can't be more ashamed of her than I already am. Yes, she's been in trouble before. She was nothing but trouble. My only child. The father died when she was a baby. I guess she needed a father. I couldn't do anything with her. 
Was your daughter ever in any serious trouble with the police, I mean? I don't know, maybe. She was. I didn't hear about it. I tried to understand it. We never got along. I don't know. It makes me sick to think about it. Well, how about her friends, Mrs. Hagen? I mean, her recent friends. Do you happen to know any of them? No. Ellis never brought them home. I knew they were tramps. I heard the way the neighbors were talking. Trampy fellas, trampy girls, drinking, doing things. You know, she didn't learn those things at home. Well, what was Lois' last known address? Do you have any idea at all? Place in Boyle Heights, boarding house. Last I heard, Lois never wrote a letter. That's another thing. Yes, ma'am? She could have had the best education any girl could want. I worked 12 years in the laundry here to give it to her. I sent it to the convent. Even the nuns couldn't do anything with her. She only sassed them back. She finally quit altogether. I don't know. Can you think of anybody who might know where your daughter is? Maybe one of your relatives? No, we don't have any relatives here. I have a brother in Ohio. That's all. Both glasses and an awful lot of trouble. Could you pull out that drug stock, please? I wonder if you have a picture of your daughter that we could borrow. We'll see that it's returned to you. Yeah, right. I got lots of pictures of Lois. Pretty girl, you know. Looks quite a bit like me when I was young. Yes, ma'am. Well, thanks very much for your time. Even the nurses at the hospital said it when Lois is born. Beautiful child. Certainly strange, isn't it? How's that? And their babies. They all look so clean and so good. Yes, ma'am. What happens to them? Before we left Mrs. Hagen, we got a photograph of her daughter, Lois, and then we drove back to the office. We spent the rest of the afternoon showing the picture to several of the robbery victims. All of them identified the Hagen girl as the bandit's accomplice. We got out a supplementary broadcast. That night, the hold-up couple failed to put in an appearance. Following night, the same. Not a sign of them. Still no sign of the escape car either. Where they might be hiding out, we had no idea. The search went on. Repeated checks through the stats office and the record bureau failed to turn up any new leads. We stayed on it. Four nights later, the still unidentified holdup man and Lois Hagen started in all over again. Two drugstore holdups, two robberies of couples and parked cars. All of the victims were beaten senseless. Monday, March 19th, 8 a.m. Joe? Hi. They turn up anything last night? Two more jobs. Both victims identified the Hagen girl as the accomplice. Anything else? Still using the same escape car. That's about it. Yeah. We're no closer than we were a week ago. Huh? I checked the hospital on the drug at this long. How's he doing? I don't know yet. Still unconscious. I get it. Homicide Friday. Yeah, Mike. Where? Yeah, right away. What have you got? 32R. They're out on 18th. You know, yeah. The holdup car. They just spotted it. 8.20 a.m. Together with Cummings and McCready, we drove out to 18th and Hill, where the officers in Unit 32R had the hold-up car staked out. It was parked in the back of a large service station on Hill Street near the corner of 18th. We talked with the manager, and he told us that a blonde girl answering Lois Hagen's description had left the car there earlier that morning just to have the distributor fixed and the battery recharged. She told him that she'd call for the car early that night. Because of the way that the service station was situated, it would have been impossible to stake out on the blue coupe without making it look obvious. We explained the setup to the manager and made arrangements for Ben and I to pose as employees. That way we could keep a close watch on the car until the suspects called for it. Cummings and McCready holed up in a coffee shop directly across the street. 
Two teams of men from robbery covered from their vantage points. Ben and I took up our posts as supervisors of the station's ten-minute car wash. They sure do a great business here, huh? Yeah. You mentioned to the manager about keeping the area clear around that car, didn't you? Yeah, it's all set up. We're not going to have an excuse in the world if we miss those two. Yeah, if they show up. What are we supposed to do now? Pull these tickets off the cars as they move off the wash line? Yeah, that's all. Just uh, slip the tickets in that box over there, see? Mm-hmm. Must have run them a few dollars, huh, installing all this equipment. Seems to be paying off, doesn't it? What time you got now? Uh, a few minutes past four. Want to smoke? No, I just put one out. 1 a.m. Ben spotted a young blonde girl turn the corner onto Hill and start up the street toward the service station. As she came closer, she looked to the right and the left. She paused in front of the station, looked on the sides of the street, and then she turned completely around and walked on past. Lois Hagen. She's going right down to the corner. How about it? Yeah, I'll put in with you. How about her tail? We can't just let her walk away from her. Oh, just a minute. Take a look. She's turning around. Coming back this way. She's coming in. Yeah, we better get back to our car. Looks like it. Come on. All right. The young Ron entered the garage office, paid the repair bill, and drove off in the hold-up car. Ben and I followed an 80K. Cummings and McCready tailed us. The blue coupe moved two blocks down Hill Street and then turned into an apartment garage. We parked on the street, went in and got the manager out of bed. We showed him Lois Hagen's picture. He told us that she was registered alone in apartment 16. He failed to recognize the description of the hold-up man. McCready and three men from robbery covered the front and back exits. Cummings, Ben, and I climbed the stairs to the third floor. Number 16. Yeah? You want to ring it? Yeah? Sorry, ma'am. <coughs> Bedroom, Bill. Right. I'll take the kitchen. Wait a minute. What is this? Police officers. You lower take it. You get out of here. Let me out. Bedroom's empty. Nothing back here. All right. Where is he? Come on. Let's have it. Break it there's you. Watch your bill. I got it. Come on, Ben. Yep. There's Joe. Watch it. Yeah, hold it. Yep. Back it off. Come on down, Cartwright. Give me a roll. Give it up, mister. You haven't got a chance. Give me a roll. I'm coming down. We got the building covered, mister. Give it up. Look out, Joe. I'll get his gun. How is he? Dead. Joe, man, you all right? Yeah, Bill. You want to take the girl downstairs? Right. All right, lady. It didn't have to happen. I tried to tell him, get away. What do you mess enough? Let's go. We married yesterday. We didn't know that, did you? Just married. Yeah. Married two days. Yeah, well, the honeymoon's over. Come on, lady. August 5th, trial was held in Superior Court, Department 87, City and County of Los Angeles, State of California. In a moment, the results of that trial. The body of the dead hold-up man was identified as that of Frank Ralston Kilbride. His accomplice, Lois Hagen, was tried and convicted on six counts of armed robbery and assault with a deadly weapon. She received sentences as prescribed by law and is now serving her term in the state penitentiary for women. 
have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice for Dragnet comes from the office of Chief of Police, W.H. Parker. Fatima Cigarettes has brought you Dragnet portions transcribed from Los Angeles. We the People is next on NBC. Stay tuned for Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy next on Zoomer Radio. Time now for Edgar Bergen and his little wooden friend, Charlie McCarthy, and the story of the reindeer who went on strike. With Mortimer Snurd and Ray Noble and his orchestra, tonight's special guest is the cowboy king of television, Hopalong Cassidy. And now, Edgar Bergen with Charlie McCarthy. Christmas, everybody. And you too, Charlie. Uh, and Merry Christmas to you too, Bergen. You, 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 you good, kind, generous, old ex-tightwad, you. <laughs> I just can't spread that stuff too thick, you know. Yeah. <laughs> then you really think that Santa was good to you this Christmas? Oh, gosh, yes. Why, it, it, it's, uh, it's enough to make me wish that I deserved it. Is that so? Yes. It's the nicest Christmas I've had had this year. Yeah. <laughs> well, after all, it, it isn't everybody that's lucky enough to get a television set. No, no. For once, I got what I wanted. <laughs> I'm a happy kitty with a brand new video. <laughs> Bergen, tell me, what to... What made you uh, break down like that? You sort of went all the way. Well, Charlie, I, I, I just wanted you to know. I just wanted to to show you how how much, Charlie, how much you you mean to me. Gosh, Bergie, gee, your your lips are quivering with emotion. <laughs> or is that just bum ventriloquism? <laughs> Nina, Charlie, you're a very good boy. Well, yes, I, I'll admit. I, I've been so good, I've been nauseating all. <laughs> it's a good thing Christmas finally came. I tell you, my halo was about to blow a fuse. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're happy. Yeah. Yes, today, today everything is sunshine. I say, chaps, a frightfully jolly yuletide for you, eh, what? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, of course you have to expect a little fog now and then. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Ray. Same to you, Johnny. Gosh, did, did you see what Bergen gave me for Christmas, Ray? Can't guess, old boy, but I admire you for trying to be so cheerful about it. Well, now, Ray, I, I gave him a very expensive television set. Really? And after all, why shouldn't I? Why, after all, his happiness is my happiness. Yes, well, I hope my television set won't be your television set. Well, I know that I wouldn't want to part with my set. 
You know, I get twice as much sleep since I bought one. How's that, Ray? Well, with the ordinary radio, I used to sleep through the sound. Yeah. Now I sleep through the picture, too. I see. Yeah. <laughs> well, no matter how you feel about it, Ray, television is here to stay. Like me in the eighth grade. All right. <laughs> you know, I wonder how I would look on television. Well, don't you worry, Bergen. I'll stick by you anyway. Well, <laughs> just a minute. Why shouldn't I make a good appearance on video? Well, Bergen, you, 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 uh, I just don't know how to say it, but you, you just can't wear your hat all the time. Or... <laughs> I owe it to my fans to appear on television. Lots of people don't even know what I really look like. Well, believe me, Bergen, it's better that way. No. <laughs> Ray, do you think I would disappoint my public? Uh, well, well, why take a chance, old boy? I mean, you might leave a bad taste in their eyes. Oh, no. Skinny Dugan and the gang will get a kick out of watching my television set. Yeah. I'm going to invite each kid on the day he gets his allowance. <laughs> Charlie, you aren't thinking of charging them? Charge nothing. I, it'll be strictly cash. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when Hopalong Cassidy is on. Yeah. Hopalong Cassidy. He's certainly the most popular hero on television. Yeah. You know, Ray, his real name is Bill Boyd. Oh, is that so? Yeah. I'd always thought that Bill Boyd was the name of a theatrical magazine. No. <laughs> no, that's Bill Boyd. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Bill Boyd is a cowboy. Oh, a cowboy. Oh, one of those chaps. Oh, yes, <laughs> one of those chaps. <laughs> why do they always carry a rope with them? Well, that's to catch cows. Oh, really? But uh, what do they use for bait? <laughs> They, they, you see, they did. No, I just won't answer him. I just. I refuse to get mixed up in anything like that. Well, Charlie, since you're such a great admirer of Hopalong Cassidy, I have another Christmas present for you. You have? I've asked him to come over here today so that you can meet him. You mean it, honest? Yes. Hoppy is coming this way. That's right, Charlie. Well, partner, my cup of happiness is just slopping over today. <laughs> Maybe he'll teach me how to throw a lasso. A lasso? Yeah. Why? Well, I've got a certain truant officer in mind. And... Charlie! Through the air with the greatest of ease, a jolly fat man in the red BVDs. <laughs> Mighty bit. Yeah. I offer you season's greeting. Well, I'll be glad to take them if the price is right. Oh. <laughs> what I mean is, I wish you a Merry Christmas. Oh, yeah, sure. Thank you. I suppose you hung up your stocking by the fireplace last night? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. yeah. And what did you find in it this morning? The, a big hole. A big hole. <laughs> I hung it too near the fire. <laughs> I'm a card, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm 
sorry to hear that. But I'm sure that Santa brought you the presents you wanted. No, no, he didn't, no. Maybe he had a little trouble reading the letter. Oh, I see. Why do you think that? Well, I wanted to be surprised, so I read it with my eyes closed. Oh, I see. <laughs> How did you do that? Well, I... You see, I was, uh... Oh, that don't even make sense. No, no. <laughs> well, uh, what did you want for Christmas? Well, mostly I... I mostly I wanted a, a flannel nightcap. A flannel nightcap? Well... Yeah, I like them. Yeah. With a tussle. Nice. <laughs> do you actually sleep in a nightcap? Well, sure. You do? Well, just my head. Just your head, yeah. <laughs> For the rest of me, I, I wanted one of them, uh, one of them new plunging nightshirts. Plunging nightshirts. <laughs> They're real sporty, you know. That's for me. Yeah, sure. Well, old Santa has lots of boys to remember. Sure. And he works very hard. Well, he looked awfully run down last night. He did. Do you mean to tell me that you saw Santa Claus? No, I sure did. No, no, no. Well, cross my eyes and hope to squint. (laughs) Well, tell me about it. Uh, How did it happen? Well, you see, it was, uh, I'd say offhand, it was about, oh... Round midnight, see? Yeah. And I, I heard a noise downstairs, see? Mm-hmm. First, I didn't pay no attention. And then, um, didn't pay no attention at all to it, you see? And, uh, so that's the way it is, you see? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, what was I saying? Uh, you, you heard a noise downstairs and you didn't pay any attention? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I thought probably it was me walking in my sleep. Walking in my sleep. And then I felt around in bed, and I was still in it, and then I got suspicious. You got suspicious. <laughs> but you finally went downstairs. Well, I, I sort of quietly croaked down, croaked down, and, yeah, and snuck up on him, I see. The poor fellow was so befuddled, he was putting things in his bag instead of taking them out. <laughs> He was putting things in the bag, huh? And what did he do when he saw you? Well, he held the gun out at me, and but I told him I'd rather have a flannel nightcap. I <laughs> Mortimer, that wasn't Santa Claus. The man was armed. Well, sure. He was leg too. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> What I mean is he might have blown your brains out. Oh, that's okay. I never use them anyhow. Next, well, then he turned a he turned a flashlight on me. Uh, flashlight. Well, uh, when he saw my face, he scrum a terrible scream. He did. Yeah. <laughs> and then he jumped out the window. So he screamed and jumped out the window. Well, oh, poor old Santa. When he seen me, I think he quit believing in people. <laughs> Santa Claus, that Santa Claus of yours was a burglar. Yeah. Mortimer. Mm-hmm. Why are you so imbecilic? Oh, I guess it makes up for me being so homely. I think it does. <laughs> See, you're all ready to welcome Hopalong Cassidy. Yeah, yeah, I got my chats pressed and my spurs honed. <laughs> I'm a roaring, snorting buckaroo. And I wish I had a buck or two. 
spent your whole Christmas alone? Yeah, yeah. Empty pockets in the old corral. <laughs> Charlie, do you mean you'd rather have money than meet Hopalong Cassidy? No, no. But I hear he's loaded, and I'd just like to meet him on equal terms. I see. <laughs> I'd like to have Charlie McCarthy shake hands with you. Put her there, pard. Hi, Hoppy. Pull up a spur and sit down. <laughs> Thanks, Charlie. Well, young fella, Edgar tells me you're quite a Western fan. Yes, Hopalong. You're Charlie's favorite cowboy. Yeah, I even put a saddle on my new television set. <laughs> Partner, how you been? how you been writing on the range? How long about this? How long? Well, I started way back branding cows on the old bar, double X, say, lazy Z, triple cross, diamond B, single Y, panhandles, Susie Q Ranch. Yeah. Partner, how could you brand all that on one animal? Well, in those days, we had long cows. Yeah. <laughs> you had long jokes, too. <laughs> Yes, you know, Hopalong, I've been watching you on my TV set. How, how come you ride with your shoulders all hunched up sometimes? So I can squeeze through one of those ten-inch tubes. Oh. <laughs> well, Hopalong, don't worry. You'll always come through. You know, I dreamed about you last night, and if it wasn't for you, there wouldn't have been any Christmas presents this year. Hmm. You mean a bunch of ornery farmers tried to hold up the uh, stage sled? No, no, I tell you. It seems that Santa Claus was having a lot of trouble. You see, in this dream, <laughs> the finest thing, I was, I was Santa Claus's assistant. My name was Charlie McCringle. And I was up there at the North Pole just before Santa was going to start his ride. <laughs> Santa, you're not your jolly self. That last hole sounded kind of low. <laughs> well, yes, Charlie. Uh, Charlie McCringle, Santa's having a lot of trouble. A mighty lot of trouble. All right, Bergen, just play it. Don't hand it off. Santa Claus, I thought up here at the North Pole, I thought you'd be sitting on top of the world. <laughs> oh, I can't. I can't deliver my Christmas presents this year. No. You mean you're going to be left holding the bag? <laughs> I will unless my old friend Hopalong Cassidy comes through. He's the only man who can pinch it for old Santa Claus. I hope he doesn't let me down. Well, listen, that sounds like Hopalong. He must be riding on a cobblestone cloud. Well, Santa, what can I do for you? Well, hop along. My reindeer refused to ride tonight. What's wrong with the critter? Well, they ain't happy, Hoppy. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, they're, they're complaining because they say they do all the work and I get all the publicity. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, Santa, you're a mighty big hero with all the kids, and that's not bad. Do, do. You're not even on television. (laughs) That's exactly why the reindeer are dissatisfied. But everyone who knows Santa knows his reindeer just as well. Thunder and Blitzen and all the rest. Well, that's right. And I wish you'd tell them that. I wish you'd just tell them that. I'm aiming to. Millions of kids all over the world are waiting for their Christmas presents, and we can't let them down. Come on, McCringle. All right. You and me will go over there and talk to those reindeer in the only language they understand. Reindeer. the benevolent and protective order of reindeer must come to order. Now, here's Hopalong Cassidy to listen to your troubles. All right, Blitzen, what's a ruffle in your fur? If our demands are not met, no presents will be delivered tonight. We reindeer are revoked. You certainly are. (laughs) Well, let's hear your demands, Prancer. Your hoof is up. What is it? Well, I think we reindeer should have one night off a year. Well, that's not so bad. What night do you want off? Christmas Eve. <laughs> that's bad. What are we going to do, Hopping? Uh, I don't know, partner. This is a new situation for me. This one calls for the cowboy to be smarter than his horse. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's play safe. Let's ask the horse to help us out. <laughs> Just a minute, Fran. Simmer down, Fran. What's on your mind, dancer? Well, I have a beef, too. Beef? Uh, well, no, I don't exactly have a beef either because I'm 100% Venison. That's the same. <laughs> That's the same as turkey. No. Well, don't get smart with me, but you see, uh, we need more recreation. I like to dance, and there are no fawns up here. I see what you mean, partner. It's all work and no fawns. No. What you said. I got that from my horse. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, Dancer, there may not be any lady reindeer around, but I didn't know you were the romantic type. Oh, heavens to Elizabeth, New Jersey, yes. Why, there, there's an oh, such a hungry, yearning, burning under the hide of me. Yeah. <laughs> we ought to squirt it with a fire extinguisher. Yeah. Why be half saved? <laughs> Very smart, but I'm in a snit already, and I just don't care who knows it. Really? And the only person who'd be happy with my job is an astronomer. An astronomer? Yes, an astronomer. You see, Comet is hitched to the sleigh in front of me, and I spend all my time staring at the Comet's tail. (laughs) I say, old boy, I'd like to make a motion. What kind of motion, Prancer? Oh, just any kind. I'm just tired of sitting here motionless. I don't see what you reindeer are kicking about. You've got the best jobs of any reindeer in the world. Now, I wouldn't say that, Hopabout. <laughs> look here, old boy. I have an uncle in England who has an excellent situation in a hunting lodge. In a hunting lodge? What does he do? He is a hat rack. <laughs> That's using his head. Come to order here, will you? Have you got any more complaints now? Yes. Santa must get rid of this infernal sleigh bell. Why? They keep ringing in my ears all the time. It's horrible. That uh, sure looks bad, McRingle. Yeah. Let's put the whole thing to a vote. All those reindeer not in favor of working like horses, say nay. Nay! nay. <laughs> 
there you are, Victorindo. Our minds are made up. Well, let's go back to Santa's office and talk it over with him. Yeah, come on. Maybe Santa will realize that you reindeer have your points. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I see you brought the reindeer with you, hop along. Everything is ironed out, isn't it now? No, Santa. Mm -hmm. Looks like they aren't pulling for you. Well, I can't understand your attitude, dear. Haven't I always tried to be big? Oh, that's just your trouble, Santa. You're too big. Mm-hmm. Yes, we're tired of hauling all that blubber around. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I wasn't so fat when I started, but I guess I've gained a little in the interim. Yeah, you gained a little in the outer rim, too. <laughs> yes, and we are through with all that. Every Christmas you make us sweat and strain, lift those presents toward that sleigh. Get a little tired and we land in Glendale. (laughs) Deserted by my own reindeer. Well, now the good little boys and girls won't get their presents. Hop along. Why don't you take my place tonight? Hitch up a team of Broncos to the sleigh and deliver the presents yourself. Hmm? Now, hold on, Santa Claus. We can't all of a sudden switch over to a Western-style Christmas. Well, why not, Hoppy? We could be guest riders in the sky. Oh, ridiculous. We couldn't use mistletoe because it's not Western. Hmm. The men would have to kiss the gals under the cactus. That's bad, huh? Sure, you might miss the gal and hit the cactus. <laughs> well, with some gals I've seen, they could be break Oh, you don't think a Western Christmas would work out, huh? Well, Santa, think of Christmas Eve and a bunch of carol singers under your window singing Cow Cow Boogie. <laughs> I'm afraid that wouldn't be so good, no. And picture me riding in the down on a buckboard. Instead of saying, up, thunder, up, blitzen, I'd be cracking my whip and hollering, Mule <laughs> couldn't do that to the kids. Besides, I couldn't get down the chimney like you do. Well, why not? Well, my gun triggers might scrape against the chimney and plug me in the leg. Mm. Then I'd really be happy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, couldn't you take off your guns? Take off my guns? Why, that's the same as running around naked. No, Santa, we can't disappoint those kids. They want an old-fashioned Christmas. Well, then it's up to the reindeer. What about it, reindeer? No! convince them. Listen, reindeer, don't you realize that you're just as much a part of Christmas as old Santa himself? You're celebrities. Why, I'd even be proud to take you to Hollywood and put you in one of my pictures. Well, how does that suit you now, dancer? Oh, who, me? Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Take, look, I, I just simply think I go out of my mind, if you mean me, because I can just see myself now yeah. dancing along the boulevard with a neon harness and an upswept tail-do. <laughs> well, what do you say, reindeer? Are you going back to work? Yeah. Well, well, I'll, I'll never be able to thank you enough, Hoppy. Never. Well, Santa, it's mighty hard to keep everybody happy. Reindeer are no different from folks. We all have to give a little... And that way, we'll all get a lot out of life. Hop along, you said it, and you said it good. You've saved Christmas for all of us kids. Santa Claus rides again.
I say a few words over the radio to my pals? Yes, I, I think I know what you have in mind. Go ahead. Thanks, Bergie. Hey, Skinny, are you listening? Did you get that football you wanted? And Skyler and Horseface? I hope Santa Claus comes through for you. <laughs> I'll see you all later at our house. Bergen's fixed up everything swell for the party. I'll say this, when it comes to parents, I could have done a lot worse. And you know, I'm kind of glad that he's my family. Well, so long, kids. And as Bergen tells me every Christmas, when you count your presents, count your blessings, too. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. Well, thank you for listening. I hope you'll be with me next week as I present a number of wonderful Christmas-themed shows. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a wonderful weekend. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.